Hi everyone and happy October and welcome to How to College for First Gens where we have real conversations about what it's like to be a first generation student before, during, and after college. For those of you who are new to the podcast, our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a little bit more about the first gen experience, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges we've experienced by sharing lessons learned from fellow first gens. I am Luce, one of the podcast co-hosts and a first-generation student myself. Today, we'll be talking about what it's like to change your major. Changing your major can have all sorts of impacts on your college journey, but could be just what's missing to have a fulfilling college experience. It is not uncommon for students to change their majors, and for first-gens, sometimes just choosing a major in the first place can be pretty challenging. In this episode, we'll chat with Sarah and Elaine about how their experience changing majors unfolded. Our first guest, Sarah, a recent grad, tells us how she found what she was truly interested in, which then motivated her to switch her major. She talks about some of the considerations she took to determine if it was the right thing for her to do. Elaine, a current PhD student, walks us through her journey and the many switches during her scattered educational years, feeling lost with no guidance until she stumbled upon the right field of study. Our first guest today is Sarah, a recent college grad and current chemistry teacher. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Why don't you start off by introducing yourself to our audience? Perfect. Well, thank you, Luz. I'm Sarah Vialis. I am a first-gen student. I recently graduated college less than a year ago. I graduated from Ball State University. I was a chemistry major in when I first started college, and then about halfway through, I did change my major. I am a teacher now. So I'm working as a high school chemistry teacher. And it's been a kind of a crazy year starting as a first year teacher in the middle of a pandemic, but it's been going well so far. Yeah, I can definitely imagine it how crazy it must be. So thank you so much for being a teacher, first of all. And and good luck with, with this new school year. I, I'm sure there's going to be all sorts of new challenges coming up. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your first-gen story, when you realized you were first-gen, and what's that meant? I'm first-gen. I don't have um, any family members in my immediate family, and even in my, you know, going past immediate family, even in the close proximity where any of them attended a university or went away to college. And so I didn't really have somebody to talk to in terms of what that was like, but I always knew that I wanted to go away, that university always seemed like this really awesome place. And so I would go to other people, friends or, you know, parents of friends who did go away. So I did have plenty of places where I could ask plenty of questions and all that kind of stuff. And my parents were supportive of it. So even though they weren't really sure what it was going to be like or how I would respond when I did move out there, they were, of course, you know, supportive about the whole thing. So it made it a lot easier. Not that, you know, there weren't challenges along the way, but definitely it was not as hard being first gen, knowing that I was going to have support behind me. But it's the fear of the unknown. Of course, we're never really sure Uh, when we don't know what to expect. There's always that fear. So going in, yeah, there was definitely that that little you know bit of anxiety for sure, but good experience overall, I can say. So you mentioned you were initially a chemistry major. So why did you first start with chemistry? Is that something you were interested in high school? 
Yeah, I actually decided, oddly enough, I was 15. I was a sophomore in high school. I took chemistry for the very first time. And I decided pretty much right then and there that I was going to major in it. I'm not entirely sure why my 15 year old brain wasn't really, you know, she didn't really know what to expect. But she was like, really obsessed with the idea of chemistry. And so I finished up college took even, you know, AP chemistry in high school, finished up high school. And then when I graduated high school, I was still on that track to wanting to go into chemistry. And so when I applied to college, I knew full well that I was going to major in chemistry. And wherever that path took me, I wasn't really sure. I was hoping to also figure that out in college because there's, you know, so many different outlets you can take when you are a chemistry major. You can go so many different routes. And so I was hoping to kind of figure that out when I got to college. So yeah, I just, I just went in, you know, feet first. I thought, yeah, I'm just going to be a chemistry major and I guess we'll see what happens from there. That's funny. I actually really liked chemistry in high school as well. And that was partly how I chose my major. So I actually majored in, in chemical engineering. And I knew I didn't want to do like pure chemistry. So I was like, well, I'll do the engineering version of it, which turned out not to be quite like chemistry in high school, but something you learned along the way. So when you did get to college and you know you decided you were going to do this, this chemistry major, did the fact that you knew that you wanted to do this chemistry major impact at all, like where you were applying to school, like what schools had a good program for, for chemistry, did that play any roles in, in your decisions? Absolutely. I actually spent a lot of time researching schools chemistry programs because I was adamant about finding a school that took it, you know, really seriously. And so when I was looking at schools like their rating and how, you know, their overall score, it really wasn't about that necessarily. It wasn't that biggest part for me. It was more so whether or not they had this credible program that I was going to go into or, you know, whether other people felt like their degree was worth it and that kind of thing. So yeah, no, that did definitely play a role in how I chose my college. And did you have like any backups? Because so when when I was going to, to college, I was like, okay, yeah, I think I want to do chemical engineering. But just in case, like maybe that doesn't pan out, like I had you know, like a, a second choice and third choice. So when I was applying, I made sure that the engineering school as a, as a whole was kind of like what I was looking for. So did you have any backups as you were trying to figure out what are going to major in ultimately? I didn't have any actual backups, but because the program that I had joined the chemistry program, it was so vast that really anything that you chose was going to be applicable somehow to the major. So I chose the broader topic of chemistry as opposed to choosing something more specific, just so that I kind of could figure out where I wanted to go from there. And at the very least, just get a professional chemistry degree so that that alone could take me wherever I needed to go. But because I didn't really know what I was looking for at the time, I thought just being a chemistry major in and of itself would play out however it was supposed to play out. And, and were you aware more or less of what that major would entail in terms of how many classes you would have to take or what that like school life balance would be like? Did, did that play any role into you ultimately deciding when you first started that you were going to go ahead with this chemistry that you've been envisioning since 15? It's weird to think back now. I don't know if I knew going into college that I was going to be hit with the, 
upper level chemistry classes and like what I would, you know, how I'd respond to those. Pretty much all that I saw in my future when I first got to college was that I was going to eventually have to take organic chemistry. I just knew that was going to happen. I wasn't sure how that was going to play out because I hear it's, I, you know, I heard from so many people that it was one of those weed out classes where it's purposely difficult and all of that good stuff. So I did know about that, but that was pretty much it. And so once I got past that hurdle, my sophomore year, it was like, if I can do this, I can do whatever else comes barreling at me. So I I did get through my freshman year with just the general chemistry classes that my college offered, which was pretty much an extension of the advanced placement chemistry I just graduated from in high school. And so that class looked really similar in terms of content and all of that. So nothing was really new there. You know, after freshman year, I'm on cloud nine. I'm doing great. Things are really easy so far. I'm still loving chemistry, whatever. And then it's like the brick wall that you run into. All of a sudden, organic chemistry was not what I was expecting. But yeah, as soon as I got that was definitely my biggest hurdle. As soon as I got over that, it was pretty much you know, smooth sailing from there. I don't know for sure if I would have known the difficulty of the higher level classes, if I would have wanted to change my mind at any point, I can honestly say that I'm glad I didn't change my mind because this is definitely what my path was supposed to be. But there is that, you know, like I said earlier, there's that level of uncertainty, you really just don't know. So I'm kind of glad where I am now that I didn't know. I think that uncertainty actually pushed me a little bit harder. Yeah, I absolutely also hated organic chemistry. It was definitely one of those classes you heard about as a weed class, but you just have to take (laughs) backing up a little bit. So you're in college, you're taking all these classes, you're really getting to see what it's actually like to be a chemistry major. So at what point do you decide, this is not quite for me, I need to look into other options? I was at the tail end of my sophomore year. So it was about in March of that year. And we were done with school at the end of April. So it was pretty close to the end, about halfway through college. And I was actually finishing up calculus two and organic chemistry two. So I was in both of those at the same time, which was awful just with those two classes, but I also had other classes I was taking too. I was for a short time, I was actually... I minored in astronomy as well. And so I had, you know, I was taking astronomy classes also, and it was definitely a big workload that I had on my plate. And so the stress really hit me at the end of that year, not to mention I wasn't necessarily loving it only because organic chemistry was really stressing me out at that point. I was having a hard time balancing calculus too. I wasn't really as much of a math person as I wanted to be. So I had to study a lot harder than the average person maybe for math does. So it was it was hard to balance. Definitely, that was the biggest issue. And so when I got to the end of my sophomore year and thought to myself, you know, if being a professional chemist looks anything like this, I don't necessarily know if that's where my happy place is going to be. If I could really see myself doing this for, gosh, you know, the next 40 years once I graduate college. And so it was definitely hard for me to wrap my head around that. But I had this fallback plan. I didn't even know it was a fallback plan. I was given the opportunity as a sophomore in college to be a TA for one of the general chemistry classes. And I accepted the position mostly because they, you know, they felt I would be a good fit and I'd done well in chemistry so far. And they offered the opportunity to some other good chemistry outstanding students. So I accepted the position. I was a TA for, uh, I think I had 28 or 29 of my own students 
that I really got to know. I graded their papers. I spent time helping them, all of that kind of thing. And so that kind of ended right as I was going through this crazy, oh my gosh, sort of like a mid-college crisis, if you will. So that kind of closed out right as I was having this crisis. And it just kind of hit me that, you know, I think I actually like teaching better than I like doing the actual being in that lab environment. There was something to me about being in class with my kids and helping them and talking to them that felt more fulfilling to me than being in the lab all day. And so I made that decision at the very end of my sophomore year that I was going to change majors. And it did, did impact things for sure. But, you know, I'm sure anybody who's changed majors can say when you have that feeling that you need to change your major, it's really, that's the most important thing. So you kind of, you take everything else in stride, you figure out where to go from there. But the main thing is that if you're not happy and the, the, change of major is what is needed, then that's what you need to do. That's really great that you were able to have that opportunity to be a TA and really kind of test out what other things could be out there. Because I think a lot of students maybe, you know, they get so focused on, on working on these classes for their major and maybe not always have those opportunities to try other things. I always tell students that it's, it's a good idea your freshman year to test a couple of different classes to really make sure that what you intend to major on, it's something that you're actually interested on and, and could see yourself doing for, for a long time, potentially. So as you're figuring out that maybe something more related to teaching is, is more up your alley, how difficult was it to actually go about and change your major? At that point, had you already declared your major? And if so, like how easy was it to go back and, and say, never mind, like I, I want to change it to, to this major? The actual getting the major changed itself was not super difficult. I did have a pretty good relationship with my advisor. And so I was pretty comfortable going to her and asking for help. And she was good about giving me a little bit of direction. But, you know, when I came to her with this idea of changing my major, there's not really much, you know, she can't really decide for me. It was more so just, are you sure this is what you want? I told her, you know, this is really something that I've put a lot of thought into. And this is also somewhere that I know that my skills would be better put to use. And so the actual changing of the major was the easy part. That's just a couple clicks on the computer, but it's more so getting in the mindset that you are changing your major, that you're changing the course a little bit. So if that's really what you want, then it's a big step to take. But once once you do it, it seriously can be a breath of fresh air, really. I can definitely imagine. And you alluded to this earlier, but when you actually went about to change it, obviously it changes some of the classes that you have to take and maybe some of the scheduling of when you're going to take certain classes. So how did you adapt to that? Like, did your timeline change at all in terms of like when you were envisioning graduating or when you would be taking certain classes or did your coursework get a little bit heavier because there was extra classes that you now needed to take? Like, how did the change of your major impact your, your schedule? Originally, when I thought about changing my major, I knew that there was definitely going to be extra classes I was going to have to take on top of the chemistry classes and the math classes that I was already required to take for the professional chemistry degree. Those were also required for the education in chemistry degree. And so really, instead of changing any of that level of difficulty from the chemistry side, 
really all that happened was that I added more onto it, which in hindsight, looking back was probably not better for the stress that I was already having. But because I knew that it was a different path for me and that I wasn't going to be the professional chemistry in the end somehow got me through. And so the next year, my junior year, I started immediately with education classes and it was automatically more work, definitely, but it was more fulfilling work. And so it didn't feel as much to me like difficult, hard work that I couldn't handle. It was all stuff that I could handle. It was just, you know, extra work. And I did find out around the beginning of my junior year that I was going to have to graduate a semester late, which at first was a punch to the gut. I didn't really know how to accept that. I I didn't really want to not graduate with my friends. I, I couldn't imagine that. And not to mention, you know, there's the financial aspect as well that I was worried about that I was going to have to talk over with my parents and all of that kind of stuff. So that did bring on new stress. But at the same time, going forward with this new major, taking a couple of those education classes, being in them for even a couple weeks and realizing that I felt more at home was almost, you know, it's what made it worth it. I was still in my chemistry classes. I was still in my math classes. But now I had this extra piece where I knew that, you know, I was going towards something that, you know, education was going to be my future. And so being in those classes made the rest of them sort of make sense to me in terms of, okay, this is why we're doing this. So even though I had to, you know, make some sacrifices and decide on some things that were difficult to accept in the beginning, knowing that education was going to be the outcome and that I was going to get to be a teacher in the end is what made it worth it. So I guess at this point, is this when you're pretty sure that you want to be a teacher? And so it absolutely makes sense to change your major so that you're better prepared to be a teacher once you graduate? Yeah. So it was kind of nice to know at that point, I was only end of sophomore year, beginning of junior year, that I really did want to be a teacher, which was, it was helpful because I was able to get in the rest of those education classes and graduate with that degree, as opposed to graduating with a professional chemistry degree and then having to go back for extra classes in education to take my content area test and get certified as a teacher. There's extra hoops to jump through, there's student teaching, all of that good stuff. And so when I did actually get into the major, I was a little bit late. So I did have to take that extra semester to be a student teacher. But because I was able to get all of the classes in pretty, you know, soon after I changed my major, it didn't actually affect too much in the long run. So if anything, I am really happy that I decided to change my major as opposed to going forth with, you know, the chemistry degree and just saying, yeah, I guess I'll be a teacher later if I wanted to be. It was it was better to change at that moment, even with that extra added you know, stress and all of that, because the timeline of the way things work, you know, I I think any teacher could probably say there are some hoops you have to jump through in order to get certified. And so when you go through a university with a credible program, it's much easier that you become certified at the end, it sort of just goes hand in hand with your degree. And so that made it a lot easier to become a teacher as opposed to graduating with a professional degree and having to go back for teacher certification later. Okay, so first of all, so what do you think are some of these common misconceptions about changing your major? Because I know a lot of times like people are a little afraid to make that leap because they're afraid of some of those repercussions. But for you, at least it actually ended up being exactly what you were meant to do and got you to the path that you wanted to be after you graduated. But yeah, what are some of those misconceptions you think? 
Gosh, definitely that, you know, when you're changing your major, that you're a failure. That was like the biggest thing for me. I I actually didn't really tell anybody that I was changing my major. I wanted it to be, I didn't want it to be something that I was judged for. I wanted it to be something that came from my heart, something that I thought I needed to do. And so I changed my major. I didn't, you know, tell any of my friends. I wasn't running around spreading it out there that, you know, oh my God, I need to change my major you know, I can't do this. This is too, that was never what I thought. And when I realized that changing my major was the best option for me, it kind of didn't even dawn on me to consider what other people thought about it. And so, yeah, definitely the misconception for sure is that if you change your major, you're a failure. I definitely don't think that that is even, you know, part of it. Certainly, you know, it could play a factor for some people, but At the same time, I also had friends in college who, you know, changed majors. My major was pretty similar to what I changed to. Still chemistry was just a different path. But, you know, I did have friends who changed so drastically in their path from, you know, fashion to pre-med. Those things are really big jumps, but it's not necessarily failure that drives it. It's more of a realization that you can't really imagine yourself doing that for the rest of your life. And you need to find what is going to fit in your life if you're going to pursue that for the rest of college. And so definitely that that would be the biggest misconception too. just go for it if that's what your heart is telling you and definitely not letting other people's thoughts about you being incompetent or being less capable be the driving factor and what decides whether or not you stay in your in your major. Yeah, I think that is super, super good advice. Because yeah, I think if anything, changing your major shows that you're really paying attention to what you're actually interested in taking into consideration what those options could be for you down the road. So it's definitely a very courageous thing to like be able to admit that to yourself to like recognize where where some changes and adjustments need to be made. So definitely glad that you brought that up to kind of wrap up here. So what would be some maybe useful tips or advice that you could offer to to college students that are thinking about potentially changing their major? So it is it is a pretty big decision. Um, And when you come to it, it's sort of is that nagging feeling of like, wow, I keep thinking about this. I'm wondering if that's actually something that I should go through with and pursue if I should really if I should really do this. And I would say that the best thing that you could probably do if there are opportunities out there is to maybe try to find a way to immerse yourself in what you plan on changing to before you do just to see if that's even something that you would want to pursue. There are opportunities across, you know, college campuses, just little things, clubs that you can join or volunteer opportunities that might open doors and things like that. So without fully changing your major, there are smaller ways that you could get your feet wet with that new major that you plan on changing to. Whatever it is, it could be so many different things, but it's definitely that you just have to plant that seed. All you have to do is kind of get that idea that, wow, this this is making me feel so different than the major that I'm in right now. I haven't even seen a half of it and I'm already excited about it. So if you can get that sort of you know feeling and, and it brings that joy back to you, that's a pretty good sign that you've found what you you know, should try to pursue. And again, if it's not necessarily the thing that you end up doing, the the beautiful thing about college is, is the options. It's the choices that you have and it's the experiences that you get. And so if you end up graduating with something that you totally never had in mind, 
uh, absolutely does not mean that you were indecisive and just didn't know what you wanted to do. It was it was definitely you just trying to find what fits you best. And when you graduate with that thing that fits you best, that's the best feeling of all. Definitely. Very well said. And then the only thing I would add is that obviously your major doesn't define who you are. So even though you may graduate with a particular major, doesn't mean that you're locked into you know pursuing a career in, in something that's completely related to your major. Absolutely. Agreed. All righty. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us on the podcast today and offering a little bit about your story and your experience to our audience. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Next, we have Elaine, a current PhD student in Canada who stumbled through her academic journey for several years. Thank you so much for being here, Elaine. Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, my name is Elaine Jean Laberge. I am a guest and generational settler on the unceded Songhees, Esquimalt, and Wissanich people's traditional territory, which is Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. So I am a first-generation student who comes from generational poverty in Alberta, Canada. My current major is sociology of higher education in Canada. Awesome. Thank you, Elaine. So why don't you tell us a little bit about just, you know, your family, how you first realized that you were first generation and going to college? I didn't realize I was first generation until almost at the end of an after degree in sociology. The concepts of first generation didn't mean anything to me. The concept of I didn't know university existed. I didn't really know college existed. Somehow I ended up going from the country to the city and going to college to do an accounting diploma. I don't even remember who told me in high school to do this because I barely passed high school, but somehow I ended up there. And it's it's all quite a bit of a blur how it happened. The idea of going to any kind of higher education, let alone finishing junior high or high school, those were things that were absolutely foreign and they were things that teachers and and counselors certainly didn't talk to me about or encourage me to do because I was storied as the girl destined to become a teenage mother and living on and in welfare for the rest of my life. So that's how it started. So it's been a fumbling and bumbling journey from beginning to end. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely with like the poverty and the first gen experience, you'd never really quite know what your possibilities or options even are. So I think that's an pretty common experience for for many students that come from that similar background. So I know you mentioned you started with accounting. Do you remember how that even came to be? Is that something you were at all interested in high school? Or is that just a means to to getting a job? Well, I actually had no interest in high school because I had run away when I was I was underage and I was so focused on working and paying rent. So I had a work experience job that paid me a little bit of money, work experience job to get credits in high school. And it probably stemmed from there. Somebody probably said, go become an accounting technician. They didn't say go become an accountant, but an accounting technician, which is a minimum wage job. So that's probably how that happened. Can you maybe walk us through your experience while you were in college and actually taking the classes that you needed to to get this degree and how as you're going through it, you're thinking, hmm, maybe this is not what I'm interested in. Should I consider switching to something else? Or how did you come up with that decision that like it it was time to to find what you maybe were a little more interested in? So when I went 
and I did a second diploma after a long absence from college, somebody somewhere said, you need a university degree if you're going to be paid any kind of decent wage. So I had an idea that I was going to get a Bachelor of Commerce degree. So I went to a college in another city and I started taking courses towards this. And I just looked up in this, felt like a three million page college calendar of all the courses you have to take. And then you would transfer partway through to a university. It was when I took the mandatory eight month English class to get a degree that I found the arts again. And one of the things that poverty did was it just decimated my love of the art. Research shows this is not uncommon, but still I couldn't even imagine I didn't know there was such a thing as an English degree. And had I known, I wouldn't have understand how it could possibly pay rent because I was always in subsistence mode, even though I knew that there had to be something better than how I grew up. And I kept going. And then I, I took a creative nonfiction class, just stumbled into it and fell in love with it and did some amazing research and writing. I was told that I would be great as a playwright, having never seen a play. And so I, I finally, after 15 fragmented years, I know it's just, it's really funny, moving across Canada, did an, um, a degree in theatre in English. And my first play was staged, and it was a critique. There's a large Canadian grocery store chain, Superstore, and I wrote about how they decimate lives and communities. And it was from a sociological framework, but I didn't know anything about that. I just knew what they were doing to lives was bad. It was called Cashier Confessional. I worked there trying to pay my way. And then I was fired. But also in classes I would take, there was always tensions about what I was writing about from this sociological lens without knowing it. Um, and I didn't realize I was writing to middle and upper class professors who weren't comfortable with my talking about this. And I still didn't know anything about social class or I didn't use the word poverty. I didn't understand any of these concepts. I still, after two college diplomas and university degree, did not understand first generation. I'd never heard the language. I'd never been taught this. And it was when I came back to my home province because I was broke and I had no clue where to go. And a friend said, take introductory sociology. And I fell in love and that missing piece was there. But throughout the journey, there was no academic advising. And when I would reach out to academic advisors, it was a very painful and humiliating and traumatizing experience because I couldn't understand the system. I couldn't understand the language they were speaking. In hindsight, now with all I've gone through, it would have been clear that I come from poverty and first gen and what that meant to stories that they have about folks like us. So I would leave absolutely devastated. And so it took me so many more years than it should. And the cost was devastating. Student loan debt that was suffocating, lost opportunity costs, not having focus and, and took real tolls on any kind of confidence I had that maybe I could be this student and, and be there. But one of the things I did, you know, in, in, in therapy and looking back at this, I think I was also self-sabotaging finishing because what would finishing mean? What would finishing a degree? It was, it was terrifying what happens at the end of it because I knew how to physically work, but I didn't know what a piece of paper would mean. And so I didn't have advising to help me juggle these two things and have these two things live in relation to each other. But it was finding the sociology that was the game changer for me because then things in life started to make sense. And it was only through my own work, though, that I learned the language first gen because I didn't have sociology classes that would address social class and these issues. Absolutely. I want to backtrack a little bit here and say, 
that I think it's it's really common for students to, you know, when they go to university and, and they're like in a completely new environment, not knowing how to plug themselves into this new place and fit in. And I think that's where what is super important is, is one, being able to find that community of support that can help you understand and quote unquote translate some of this so that you can better position yourself to go in, in the right direction and find what works for you. And the other thing that I think is very important and I always like to tell students is is finding those mentorship relationships. So the people that have gone through this, like how they can shed some of that light from their experience and help you navigate yours. So is that something that you weren't able to find during your time in college, just someone that you could connect with that could help guide you through this? Or was it mostly just trial and error? Well, there's a few things is one, there there were no communities. I didn't have that social class consciousness. In, in two in Canada, we will not address social class and our higher education institutions and all our higher education institutions are publicly funded. So there aren't first generation groups that you can join. There aren't first generation clubs. Universities in Canada, and this is my area, have no widening access and participation for students from poverty, first gen students. It doesn't exist. That was one of the absolutely critical things. Had there been a community, I might have been able to fumble my way there because they would have been active and putting themselves out there. But there was such shame and stigma of growing up in poverty and being storied as why even put any effort into you, not only finishing high school and going on to college or university, but when you get there, the assumption is that you won't even finish. And why are you even here? So not having that community of mentorship and support and belonging and advocacy was absolutely a huge part of why might I am going to be 56 finishing school. And what does my future hold for me? It's why it took 15 fragmented years to even finish my first undergrad degree. So being able to find mentors, let's say in professors who are first generation or who are allies of first generation, how would I find them? And I will say that I have met some professors in my graduate work who come from generational poverty, but they, most of them don't come out of the social underclass closet. So to find them is really difficult. And so that's why in the work I do, I'm so open about where I come from, because it, it is the most critical thing to have that community from folks who look like us. Yeah, absolutely. You having gone through the experience helps you like also help other students that are coming up behind you, seeing as how you can relate to them, you know, how terrible that experience can be if you're going at it on your own. But backtracking a little bit more to what your experience itself was. So what were some of those considerations that you were taking into account when you first started and as you're going through first degree to choose like how you were going to go to college, what you were going to major in, how you were going to graduate? Well, the idea of graduating was not even a concept I could understand. I knew that I had to finish this high school thing, which I barely did. But the concept of graduating from college or university, I didn't understand what those things even meant because I couldn't make a correlation between finishing school and then transitioning into a career. I didn't even have that kind of mentorship and guidance. It just didn't exist. And I don't want this to be a narrative about my mom was evil, like a lot of the literature talks about. My mom was doing her best to survive growing up in 
poverty herself and in, in generational poverty, which ravages lives and communities and societies. So going to college, one of the things I knew about changing majors is I was profoundly unhappy in accounting. I was good at it and I was doing it in the real world, but it bored me to tears. So I would have to find creative things, not creative accounting practices, but creative ways to, to keep myself going. And, and so I started teaching myself graphic design and communications and I was doing this and I wasn't being paid for it, but I was loving it. And I was getting in ways closer to my artist self that had been you know, sleeping for so long, whether it was writing, it was drawing, all of these things that were so important. But in changing majors, one of the things that was causing me also to change majors is I was learning about stuff I didn't know existed. I didn't know psychology existed. I didn't know anthropology existed. I didn't know that narrative nonfiction existed. So part of it was like, I don't want to be an accountant and I don't want to be a computer programmer. I did a diploma in computer programming as well, but I didn't know where else to go. And I fell in love with these things. So, you know, I was one or two classes short of getting my psychology undergrad degree and I changed majors again. So this is where, you know, not to psychoanalyze myself to death. I'm sure not the only student who changes majors right when they're so on the cusp of. But I also was one course away from getting my certified management accounting designation, which is a big deal. I didn't take that final course, but I also hated it, even though I excelled at it. But I couldn't imagine a lifetime of any of this. And I knew I couldn't be, become a therapist. I needed too much therapy myself. <laughs> and, and I was also analyzing my friends who didn't appreciate that. So, you know, in the very early days in this English class, I didn't realize I was writing about sociology stuff. So it sort of sounds like for you, you were kind of having these classes thrown at you and you were doing them because that's all you knew you could do. But there was always this like itching in the back of your mind that there's something else that like is, is the thing for you. And you never finished any of these other ones because they were not the right fit for you. Absolutely. There wasn't the calling. And the other thing is, is that I am a natural agitator, activist, and I love to help people. And so something like accounting or computer programming or even psychology, those things just, they weren't speaking to my heart and soul. And the artist in me is still in this cocoon and needs to come out. And if I just would have, you know, had advising and mentorship and community, you know, we would be telling a different story. But this fumbling and stumbling was important. I mean, it, it was the only way I was going to get to explore to see what's out there. I mean, the, the cost is, is really, really high. But I wouldn't have been able to, to do the things I do, bringing in this interdisciplinary perspective. And that's so critical. And I have one dear supervisor who chuckles, goes, why do you know how to plan events? Why can you raise money? Why can you do the accounting? Why can you do the graphic design? Why can you write poetry? Why are you a, a community builder? Well, it's all these things. So I was never going to fit in anywhere anyway. So, but it would have been nice to have community. That would have been everything. People who spoke my own language, who wouldn't have shamed me because I had to show up to school in my uniform and then rush to work. So I think it's actually really interesting that in this journey of figuring out what was meant for you, you gained all of these really valuable skills that now make you a super well-rounded person. So at the end of the day, it wasn't a complete loss. Like, yeah, you, you mentioned there was 
some of the consequences of, of changing your mind so much is, is for one, that cost of, of taking all of these classes that maybe don't ultimately culminate in a degree, but those valuable skills, you still have them. And that's something that you can keep no matter what. Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, as you get older, of course, the costs become greater. So there's the lost opportunity costs when you're 20 are very different than when you're 50. I will say in the work I'm, had I not gone through this journey, we would not be having this conversation because I wouldn't be able to have been doing the work I have been doing, which is quite radical in Canada. And I wouldn't have been ready to do this work. Generally speaking, I look at poverty discrimination in Canadian universities. So I look at how Canadian universities don't have any kind of widening access and participation initiatives for students whose lives are shaped by poverty. I did this in my master's and I built upon it for my PhD. And these experiences have so profoundly shaped about why this is so important that if we're, the first step is we need to have community of mentorship, advocacy, belonging. And I wouldn't have been able to do something. I started in the first of its kind in Canada, the Shoestring Initiative, which is this grassroots movement to create exactly what we've been talking about, mentorship, advocacy, support, and intercultural belongingness for students whose lives are shaped by poverty trying to, to get a university degree. So absolutely, it's, it's all of this wouldn't have been possible. The work that I'm doing that's having profound change in some lives, it hasn't created the structural change I would like, but it's having a huge impact so that students can start to figure out, to come together, to get that kind of advising. For example, should I change this major? Should I even go into this? I hate this, but my my mom and dad want me to do this. One of the research sisters in, in my PhD work, Jess, her parents wanted her to become a lawyer because she wouldn't live her life in poverty. But that was not it. It was sociology calling her, but she didn't know what sociology was. Yeah. And I think one of the difficulties too, for, for a lot of students, specifically for first-gen students, is that we are often just not exposed to a lot of things when we're first going into college to choose a degree. If you just don't know what all is out there, then how could you even make that decision of like, oh, this is what I want to study? It's not until you get exposed to it and maybe give it a try that you might really learn like what is actually like what you're passionate about. Absolutely. There's a sort of a story I, I will tell professors who come from middle and upper class, and I'm not trying to beat up anybody, but everything's about social class for me, is that I didn't even know Europe existed. Okay, I've never been there. But all I saw was some pictures in this encyclopedia when I was a little girl. And then you wonder why I don't understand that my first choice in a holiday isn't Europe. Well, why would it be? So we come in and we are being pipelined if we make it here very often from people in junior high and high school who tell us we might have friends that look like us that say well you know if you go do this then you can get a job you know had I had different advising I might have gone into the trades because I love working with my hands but it's it was just yeah I had no clue and so those possibilities but this fumbling and stumbling isn't a solution if you're a single mom how can you possibly fumble and stumble for 15 fragmented years well, you touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to go just a little bit deeper. So what were some of those consequences in, in you changing your mind here and there and, and not completing a degree sooner? On your resume, first and foremost, they wonder why it took you so long to finish a degree. And jobs may not say that, but they're going to go, okay, well, it took you five years, 10 years, 15 years. And then all this time you're waitressing and, oh, I see you've been cleaning houses and you, you've been doing laboring work. Or maybe you've 
you know, got a job as a file clerk or, or whatever the case is. So there becomes sort of a negative lens through which prospective employers can can judge you through. The other thing is how long it then takes you to be able to start your career and this changing and how long it takes. When I talk about the costs, it's it's really hard to focus on finishing when you're just trying to survive. Every change you make has a ripple effect. So sometimes I wonder if it, if I just would have finished, you know, that become that certified management accountant and maybe taken one psychology class a semester, maybe I would have been better off. But I knew that I was already tired. And that's one of the struggles with changing all the time is the chances of finishing start to diminish. But you're now in like the role that you enjoy and you're doing the work that you think you were meant to do, right? Well, I don't exactly have a career yet and I don't have stable employment. I have no regrets about doing my master's degree. The PhD is a different story. What I learned and the changes and difference I've made and the lives I've impacted, including my own, that has been the most rewarding and amazing thing in the world. And I am looking forward to having stable housing and kind of stable financial situation so I can really start doing something with this amazing work I've done and the learning of the amazing people that have been engaged in all my research and work. And that's when I'm happy is when I'm out there changing lives and making a difference absolutely makes me happy. And that's not something I could ever do as an accountant or computer programmer. It makes me feel good that I make other people feel good. And I think maybe at the end of the day, that that's maybe more important that you're doing work that feels fulfilling and can keep you going. Like if you're doing something that you enjoy doing, then it helps you be excited for the next day. So had you maybe done that accounting, then that might have not been the case. No, and it wouldn't. And I have no regrets. Like accounting, not only was it paying bills, but I use it today in so much of my work, in not just everyday life, but so much of my work. Psychology helps me put that together with sociology to understand when it's about me individually versus when it's about structural societal stuff. There is there's not a price that I wouldn't pay to be happy in doing what I should be doing. Because I spent a long enough time doing jobs based on the college diplomas I had that made me miserable. So it's not just about that paycheck. Yes, I need to have secure housing and be able to pay my bills and to be able to put a little away for retirement. But I will say this journey, I think, has been important because I could not have done what I'm doing. Even at 40 years old, I wasn't ready because of the trauma of poverty. I just wouldn't have been ready. Well, you have had such an interesting journey and I can't even imagine what had been for you just kind of stumbling and fumbling your way through. But I'm really glad that you found something that makes you excited about the work that you're doing and that you are helping other students. So I think that's really great. So to finish off here, what would be maybe some of those tips or advice that you could offer other students who are maybe just starting out and trying to figure out what to study, how to go about this college thing and what to major in? I'm going to give you two answers. One is from a Canadian perspective is reach out to the shoestringinitiative.com because that's the only group that you're going to find so far with people that look like you. The other thing in thinking about changing your majors is it's so important and I'm again speaking from the Canadian perspective, is to try to find those telltale signs of professors who look like you. We all know when we find our people. That's the most important thing I'm going to say from a Canadian context. Those professors are there. 
that is just as we started the conversation with the importance of community and finding people who look like you or allies. That is the most important thing I can think about saying about changing majors. But the second part from an international perspective is if you pick it, if you go into a topic like I did with accounting, you're not married to it for life. It is absolutely fine to change majors. Students do it all the time. Really important that you are open to exploring things. I was basically forced into taking an anthropology class in my master's program by a teacher who I absolutely respect. And I thought, what is she making me take this anthropology class for? Well, it was a it was a game changer. Myself and another student went and did a micro documentary that caused a whole bunch of trouble. And it's it's just brilliant. So be open to also when people say to take something and you're thinking, well that makes no sense. And if we do what we love, we have to believe that that um, happy and healthy lives will follow. But you have to, I can just not express enough, if we're going to go to school and we're going to pay these huge prices, not just monetary, but all the prices, then let's do what we love and let's go explore. Yeah, I think that's really great advice for all students, just being open and finding those people that can help you and be your allies and, and give you that motivation to keep going forward. So with that, thank you so much, Elaine, for joining us today on our podcast and sharing a little bit about your story and your journey through your college degrees. Luce, thank you for the invitation and greetings from Canada. And I can't wait for all of us to connect more. As you heard from our guests, it's important to evaluate what you're actually interested in studying so that you have a more fulfilling college experience. Oftentimes, the issue may be that we don't know what all is out there and what the possibilities can be. In these cases, it's a good idea to find a community and mentors that can help you get the exposure you need to make more informed decisions about what could be some good potential options to try. Although any given major you choose does not lock you into a certain career path, choosing a major or classes that can align with your future goals can provide you the best set of skills to get started in your career. Changing your major involves some careful considerations of how it may impact your timeline or any potential added costs for additional classes. Make sure you inform yourself of what's the best option for you. Thanks again to our speakers and thank you for tuning in today on How to College for First Gens. As always, you can find us online at howtocollegefirstgen.org. If you prefer to reach us on social media, you can find us at howtocollegefirstgen on Instagram and Facebook and htcfirstgen on Twitter. Drop us a comment and let us know about your experience with this topic. Remember, you are not alone in this journey. Until next time. <music>